Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. Make a show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. Thank you for tuning in. So happy to, to be with you today, or tonight, or whatever it is. I've lost track of my time. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we put our show out, and uh, that is because my computer is my kid's remote learning computer, and my wife has taken over my studio as her remote teaching studio. And so my time has been very limited way behind the microphone. But I have some content, and I thought you might want it. So we're going to give it to you. Today's show, we're going to feature Andrew Lewin. He is our friend from the Speak Up the Ocean Blue podcast. He's Canadian. We like him anyway. He's going to join us with the news. We're doing going to have him every other week now going forward as I go on his show for Ocean Talk Friday. I'm going to take that segment and give it to you here. You can, of course... Subscribe to his show if you want to, but if you stick with us, you'll still get to hear the Ocean Talk Friday. It'll be just a news piece we do every two weeks together. So that's exciting. Doc Martin, our very own Doc Martin, our, our science correspondent, our chief science correspondent from Kansas, has put together a brand new song, her very first original song. And we're really excited about this. And so after my news segment with Andrew Lewin, you're going to hear Doc Martin sing her very first song that she's written, and I hope you like it. And that will be the entire show. We'll talk more in a bit. But in the meantime, let's get into the news with Andrew Lewin. Wrong button. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody hey, Clay. Welcome to the Speak Up for the Ocean Blue podcast on Ocean Talk Friday. Haven't done one. Oh, God, it's got to be at least four years. I'm so happy to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm super happy to be here. I'm glad I can bring back something worth talking about. I mean, for four years, you've had nothing to say on a Friday. And now, finally, finally, you get to talk about something, and it's me. <laughs> I've been able to fill, like, four years of just garbage time, mm-hmm. and now you bring you on for the real the real talk. The, the big guns. So like, you, you, know, you decided, I finally want listeners to my podcast. I better call Clay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, today, we're going to be uh, doing something that I haven't done in, I would say, four years, maybe. Uh, we're going to be doing Ocean Talk Friday. We're going to be talking about two different stories. I used to do this all the time, every Friday, when Nathan Johnson was helping me out with the show. He has since moved on uh, to bigger and better things over at Oceana and is doing a great job out there. Um, and then I did a little bit with Ed Hinozon, Dr. Ed Hinozon. We did some Ocean Talk Friday, but he's busy with his stuff. Uh, and so I've been looking for a great partner to do Ocean Talk Friday with uh, for a while. And and to be honest, Clay, I think you're the guy. I think we're going to we're gonna have some Ocean Talk Friday at least once a month, right? At, at least, maybe more if you're into it. Uh, the pay is right, though. I can tell you that <laughs> because of the offer you made me, it's, it's very hard to refuse. You know, I, I've been, I feel like free ninety nine goes a long way. Yeah, well, I've been starting my new career as, a, as an Instagram model, and because it pays so well, I can afford to do this. And Andrew, I'm not kidding. The last three weeks, I've gotten over seven hundred dollars of stuff sent to me to post for on Instagram. Like Under Armour sent me. Well, is it because you are 
Didn't you win like a pageant? I am recently? Mr. I, I, yeah, I am, I am uh, Mr. Mount Washington Valley. I won. I live in the Mount White Mountains, New Hampshire, and I, I was uh, competing in a beauty pageant for Mr. Mount Washington Valley, raising money for charity. We raised thirty thousand dollars for local charities, and I won the contest. How much? Thirty thousand dollars. I didn't wow. raise thirty thousand. I did thirty three hundred. But the eleven guys competing collectively uh, raised it. And for a small town, my town's tiny. That's a remarkable amount of money. But because I'm the prettiest, I got the crown. Yeah, I love yeah. it. We should maybe just call you Mr. Universe right now. Yeah. like it's just that's this is the next step, right? Yeah. So dig this. Under Armour sent me six hundred dollars worth of clothes to wear for one Instagram wow. post. For one Instagram is that, post. That on the on the pageant stuff? No, just sent it to me just random. They say, "Hey, Clay, uh, we know you do Instagram. You got a podcast. Can you would you mind taking a picture with you wearing our stuff?" I'm like, "Will you pay me money?" They said, "No." But we'll give you a whole bunch of cool stuff. <laughs> just send you clothes. And then, and then, and then I got um, who was it uh, last week? Uh, earbuds company sent me some brand new earbuds for the same thing. One post, hundred dollars set of earbuds. And then I'm um, getting I'm getting two hundred fifty dollars sunglasses in the mail this week uh, to wear and, and post for on Instagram. I tell you, are you how is this happening? I've been turning these down for years, saying. I need to make money on my podcast. I don't need free stuff. Well, I've given up on the free right. money. That's not coming. Give me <laughs> You're stuff. Just going for free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to throw it on the ocean. Oh, no, oh, no. No. You can't do that. No. No. My yeah. God. My God. But it is well, ocean Clay, topic. Before we go let's, into Let's the get show. into it. And let's, let's, let's be honest. You've been on the podcast before mm-hmm. uh, where you talked about you know seafood choices. You've done talks on responsible seafood choices, uh, responsible fishing. Uh, I think it's it's been amazing what you've been able to accomplish uh, in your career of this kind of stuff and be able to do some guest lecturing at was it the Virginia Aquarium? I did. I got to speak. I got to speak on the Nat Geo 3D stage at the Virginia Aquarium about sustainable fishing. Awesome. They flew me down. They paid That's- me, Andrew. They paid me to talk about. I, I I did one night where I just talked about fish sex for an hour, and and they paid me money to do that. And they I were shocked. It. They I had no it. idea. I didn't tell them what I was talking about. You know, it was sustainable fishing, but I also talked. I think you know you can't be sustainable if you're not doing it. So we talked about fish sex, and we had a good laugh. I think <laughs> I love the I love the rationale yeah. on that. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Well, speaking of fishing, let's get into our first story. So we're going to cover two stories that both have to do with fish. Uh, one is more about um, you know looking at, at at small scale artisanal fishing, and I think this is a really cool thing uh, on the the uh, it's on the Environmental Defense Fund website, and it's it's kind of an interesting story. It's it's basically a well, actually, you know what. Why don't you describe what that actually is? So artisanal fishing, it's, it's really, it's just small scale fishing. It's, it's basically you're hiring a guy, you're not directly hiring, but it's, it's people going out with hook and line, catching one fish at a time. And th- theoretically, that is the, the, the most sustainable way you can get wild seafood mm-hmm. on your plates. You know, they're not big trawling lines, they're not trot lines. It's just, I say guy, that's sexist, but a, a human going out and catching you a fish. And so very specific, very targeted uh, fishing. Um, I watched the video that you sent in to me to look at in advance. It didn't really get into what kinds of fish they were catching. It was more about... No. It was more about, you know, the techniques they're fishing with. And I've always thought that it would be really hard to overfish an ocean if you were catching the fish one fish at a time, as opposed to catching them all at a time. And also you can eliminate bycatch 
if you're fishing with yeah. hook and line, you just you catch that one fish. It's the wrong fish. You can let it go, <laughs> you know. But if you catch three thousand wrong fish, even though you're throwing them back in the ocean, they're on your deck of your boat for a long time. They're they're not going to do as well. So, um, no, absolutely. And yeah. I think I think what was interesting about this video too is they talked about sort of how these artisanal fishermen and and most of them were men there were you know, fishing over and over the past few decades, how things have changed for them from an environmental perspective. Well, they're very concerned about climate change. Very concerned about climate change. In fact, that's what the video is mostly about is how these fishers are adapting or are forced to adapt to climate change where we're seeing them say that they have to do more effort. They have to go out further. And you saw the boats in the videos. I'll link to it in the show notes uh, to this video, but you saw the boats, how big they are. You know, these are not boats that are built for offshore. These are- I like that you said how big they are. are you? I would have said how small they are, but you're more positive. How small they are. You're more positive thinker than I am. That's probably- yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like like these boats, you know, they fit maybe two or three people, and and they're they're small. You can't even store that many fish on them, and they're they're really near shore boats. Um, and so going out further, you know, for longer uh, becomes a, a big danger to to these fishers, uh, especially when the ocean weather changes and storms happen and so forth. It becomes a real danger for them. It get and they have to take more risks to try and get less fish and so and that's just based on a on a climate change uh, mm-hmm. point of view you know and i think it's i think they also talked about how sea level rise which is also a climate change effect or a consequence of climate change is uh causing coral reefs seagrasses to um and mangroves to be destroyed you know they're not getting the sunlight they need and and so uh they're seeing a loss of habitat which is a you know a lot of these habitats are basically the habitats that these fish live in without these habitats the fish will not be there uh, for very long so they're seeing a lot of changes in this respect and i think it's you know it kind of goes back to what we've been talking what i've been talking about on this podcast and i was on your podcast recently uh talking about sea spiracy and looking at you know the fisheries and and what the movie movie covers a lot of the times you know we we don't think of small scale fisheries. We think overfishing is bad. Um, you know, obviously it is with these big super trawlers and these large scale international fisheries. But when you're talking about nearshore fisheries for artisanal fishermen who are literally just trying to feed their family and, and probably the the people in their in their villages, it's it it really paints a different picture of what we're looking at and saying, should we stop eating fish? Should they, should everybody stop eating fish? Like what are these guys going to do? What are these families going to do if they can't fish? It's, it's what they've been doing for generations. Um, and right now they're just concerned that there aren't as many fish because of climate change. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's the limited time of time you can go out. There's a fishing regulations. There's a lot of, I'm not against regulations by the way, but there's a lot of variables that play into when they can get out there and catch those fish. And I think it's I think it's really important to remember like how different artisanal fishing is from the big commercial fisheries, and how much harder each individual fisher has to work to make a living. You know, they're not catching thousands of fish; they're catching a handfuls of fish. So it's 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 you know it's it may be dozens of fish, it may, but it's not in the, in the numbers you see in those big super trawlers. You know, they're not in the ocean, and that's and that's the big trouble is those super trawlers are taking up all the big fish or all the good fishing, they're going out further and further. Climate change, as you said, was wrecking everything. And they were talking about, you know, they might have weeks where there's one good day in a week where they can get out fishing. And they had mm-hmm. to make that work uh, for them. Um, I, what I didn't get into, and I was really curious about, I didn't look it up or anything, I, is what is it, what do they earn? 
You know, like the price oh. per pound for artisanal fish has to be multitudes higher than the giant super trawling fish. But there is a market no, for mean, that. It must be a market. People like you and I are going to be like, hell yeah, I'll go down the dock and buy your fish from you directly as opposed to going to the supermarket or, go, you know, or you won't. You're in sure. Canada. I mean, There's no docks, you know, in your neighborhood. But Well, Great Lakes. We have some fish in the Great Lakes. <laughs> but you're right. It's, it's very difficult to find that fisher, right? It's always <laughs> like something that is uh, – you know, it's it's a prized possession. It's yeah. like, I know a guy. I know well, a guy we have, from this guy. So so I live in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, right? We are right. an hour and 10 minutes from the Atlantic Ocean. And there's a farmer's market that happens 20 minutes down the street. And there are fishmongers who come to that farmer's market. And they are artisanal fishers. It's two guys on a small mm-hmm. boat who go out every week. And then they bring on the weekends, they bring their fish around to farmer's markets. And I get their email every week, and it has the four kinds of fish they caught this week and how they caught it and where they caught it. And so if you go down and buy those fish, you can be confident that what you're buying from them is going to be a better quality, a more sustainable, mm-hmm. generally speaking, uh, and a better fish than what you're getting when you go to the giant supermarket fish. At least you know it wasn't caught in a net of 10,000 other fishes. So we do have artisanal well, fishes in our, in our area in New Hampshire. So. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it really comes down to. You know, we talk about, I mean, it, well, going back to your, your question of like, how much do you think people get per pound? Like in a developed country, uh, such as like the US, Canada and so forth, I mean, you can probably get a pretty penny for that. Like fishers, like if they sell individually and now there's even more with community supported fisheries. Like I know in BC, they have this company called Skipper Auto, uh, which you should probably be sponsored by, by the way, because they're, they're, they're killing it right now. But they will actually, you sign up, it's like a membership site. You sign up, uh, you pick the fish that you want and they go out and get it. They bring it back. They don't, they're not paying like, essentially what happens is, is like when fishers go out, they have to put in a certain amount of money, invest a certain amount of money to get, you know, able bodies to go out there, get their nets, buy their diesel and go out and they fish as basically as much as they can get, bring back or what much as they're allowed to get, bring it back. And then they hope to make a profit based on what they get. Now, if they get less of what they're supposed to get, uh, or the value of that fish is down for whatever that day is, uh, then it's going to be a problem. They're not going to make money or they're going to lose money. But here with Skipper Auto, they're making money because they know exactly how many fish they're supposed to get or what type of seafood they're supposed to get. They know exactly how they're going to catch it. They bring it back. Uh, they know exactly how much fuel they need to spend it on, mm-hmm. how many people they need to do. So they can already figure out the profits based on what people are ordering. And then from a consumer standpoint, you know, you actually get a profile of who caught your fish. So you know exactly who caught your fish. You know exactly what fish you're catching, how it was caught. So that the transparency in that supply chain is minimalized and it's it's you just see everything. So it goes right to your door. Like I can order, I'm in Ontario, Central, like Central Canada. I can order from BC. It'll be in my house like within, within like, I guess a day or two. You have, know, you, like have you done it? Priority shipped. Have you done it? I haven't done it yet. Well, get on it. I haven't you report done it. I haven't back. pulled the trigger. I do know I have a friend, uh, Emily D'Souza, who's a, a, a graduate student at the University of Guelph. She's done it before and she loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to I have to do it very, very shortly. I just haven't I haven't had the time to sign up. But uh, it's something I'm very, very interested in. But I think it's the future of fish, right? Like, well, I, we, I doubt it. I, I, I'm not as hopeful as you are, Andrew, on that being the future. I think that's the future of woke purchasers, people who could shop at Whole Foods, people who could shop at your local, uh, you know, independent food shop. And 
but I think the vast majority of, I, at least I can talk, I can't, I don't know about Canadians, maybe you guys have a lot of money, but the vast majority of Americans aren't going to change their behavior on artisanal fishing. It's going to be a niche market for, mm-hmm. and this is going to sound racist and sexist, but a rich white people, uh, maybe oh, not sexist, sure. but it's, it's going to be, a, it's, yeah. it's the same people who can make the choice to become a vegan, uh, will make the choice to just shop at Whole Foods, make the choice of, to buy the, it, it's really a, a rich white person game uh, right now. That's how I see it. Um. <laughs> well, I, I I agree with you in, in in a certain perspective. Although I think like with Whole Foods and some of those other supermarkets that say they know the supply chain and they know what seafood they're selling, there's some there's some studies that say they don't necessarily know. No, that. I agree with that. But but the same audience, the same woke people who are sure. shopping there, are are going to yeah. be you know they do yoga. They were. You know, <laughs> the same people. It's you well, a certain level of social, there's a certain socioeconomic line that allows sure. us to afford to to yeah. live our lives in a more in that kind of woke manner. Uh, I think the vast majority of people, like if you're getting, there's still people getting their fish. You know, they have to go to McDonald's and get their 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 fish yeah, fish fillet, fish fillet, which are is that's Alaskan Pollock, which they claim, by the way, yeah. is sustainable. Um, they, I had somebody and, and on the podcast be. that yeah. talked about how they work with McDonald's yeah. and, uh, or a conglomerate that works with a number of like major corporations that, that order in bulk. And they say that they've, they've mapped out the supply chain and that it's, it's uh, sustainable. I haven't looked into it. Well, if you think about more, Pollock yeah. too, Pollock is a, it's, you know, they're, they're in large numbers of fish. Uh, they're relatively yeah. small for a cod fish and they're in huge, huge schools. So I always say like, go for the smaller version of that fish, go for the bait. And they're kind of in that kind of it's sketchy because of the volume they go through right. you know yeah, and that's where it gets it gets yeah. lost um and i think on a global market most countries if they're eating fish they're eating fish from the big you know from big trawlers and big uh, fishing lines it's a harder thing but you know those of us who have the money and means we should be doing what we can to eat better uh smarter i guess I, I agree. I think I think that's where it starts, right? Is is the people that could and, and and are able to make those choices to make those choices. But I also and then I think with the rest is really make those like it's it's really up to the countries that are importing these these fish to really force those those choices to be made. Um, but it will increase the price of seafood. Oh, ab- I, I, absolutely. I, the, the the article that I did or the the episode that I did on Monday, uh, just two episodes ago, was all about the dolphin safe label and or the tuna dolphin safe label and they were saying that you shouldn't be buying canned tuna for 59 cents a can. That's not like th- those, those tuna are probably imported. You should be looking at like four five, six $6 a can. Mm-hmm. That's the tuna that's, that's probably done properly. More, more bodies able to pay for fisheries observers, the fisheries observers at canneries on the boats and everything like that. So be prepared. If you're, if you're going to make sustainable choices, be prepared to buy you know, more expensive fish and, and seafood. And it's just like, it's just like, you know, the farms now, right? If you want to eat healthier, better raised, more ethically raised beef, chicken, pork, whatever that might be, be prepared to, to pay more. Mm-hmm. And so I think it starts with the people who can, but yeah. then when it comes down to the people who can't, where do we, you know, that's, that's the the big question of how that's done. That's probably beyond my my scope and my expertise. It's a problem I can't solve because because it's really right. you're you're dealing with a, with a population of people who are who can't afford that kind of sustainability, you know, and they're and yeah. they're not they don't even care about it. You know, it's not in their wheelhouse no. because they're worried about, you know, how am I going to pay my rent or my mortgage? How am I going to feed my kids? Hey, look, that fish is only dollar ninety a pound. I'm buying it. I don't care what yeah. kind of fish it is. They're going to buy it. So 
I was sure. shocked though, Andrew. Like, I was in the supermarket a couple of days ago, and Atlantic Cod, the fishery's been shut down here in New England for a long time. They sell Atlantic Cod at the supermarket under a label that says sustainably caught, and it's five ninety nine a pound. Huh. Five ninety nine a pound. That's free. And I asked where they got it. I'm gonna get it from Greenland or Iceland or somewhere in that in that region. I'm like, how is it so cheap? Like it was so bizarre to me. I won't. I won't buy. I don't buy cod ever at a supermarket. But it's right. I, it's just shocking to me. I'm like, how is that? And the, and the only thing they had there was cod. They had cod. They, everything they had there was like just name brand fish: cod, salmon, swordfish. You know. And I'm like, where's everything else? Like I don't get it. I that's it's suspect to me for sure. Yeah. Uh, I worry about that because when you have something that cheap and just because they call it sustainably caught doesn't necessarily mean like they could be just, they could be greenwashing. It has happened before. Oh, sure. You know, where they think it's coming from something that's, that's sustainable. And we talked about this the other day. There's no solid agreed upon definition for sustainability. Like it's, it doesn't exist. It's, we all, it all means something different. And, and I'll say here, cause I'm not, I'm not sure everyone listened to that Seaspiracy episode on the Fish Nerds podcast, but the, the maker of that film just to describe sustainability as keeping enough fish around so you can keep killing them and growing more fish so you can kill them again. I, I think, right. I think he had the perfect definition. So I think <laughs> that was <laughs> my only the basic definition that, of sustainability. That was my takeaway from his movie. He defined sustainability yeah. for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. This is what I love. As, as, as negative as you can be, as pessimistic, but you always find the good in that kind of, in a movie like that. <laughs> I'm not really pessimistic. <laughs> I always tell Andrew, no, not really. so here's, here's the thing about fishing, Andrew, is fishing is an act of hope. It's an act of, it's a positive mm-hmm. action, right? You wouldn't look at the ocean and then take a hook that's a quarter inch line, you know, quarter inch size and put a little piece of sea worm on it and throw it in the ocean if you weren't hopeful. Because you're hoping something's going to grab it. Odds are like astronomically against anything eating that thing at all. But you're like, I'm going for it. Look at the size of the ocean. <laughs> I'm going to catch something on this tiny little thing. That's a hopeful action. I mean, there's no more, there's nowhere bigger hope than that. So you can't. You know what? I I completely agree. I remember being uh, in Louisiana on a on a ship, one of my first jobs, and we were out in the ocean, uh, and, and literally in the middle of nowhere, uh, we pull up, and all of a sudden, right beside us, we were we were stationary for a while. Right beside us was this massive, and I mean massive grouper, like so hundreds big. of pounds of massive grouper. They could eat and you. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, it could bite you, and you would you would you would be hurt. Yeah. Um, but I remember we took uh, one of the one of the the scientists decided, hey, I'm going to try and catch it, and took like a little line and and a hook. <laughs> and I remember that thing didn't even bother chewing it, but I'm like you're not going to do it. Like the rod's going to break. It was like a, a I don't even know what it was, like a two pound Tesla. Not even. It was just did, did he hook it? It was going to snap right away. He did, didn't even he no. didn't even go for. It. I think he laughed at it. I think mm-hmm. I really think he laughed at it. it. Was just like no way. Are you kidding me? And they put some little piece of like squid on it or something like that. And I was just like, there's no way he's going to go. For it's that. it's possible. It was, it's possible. But it's possible. Yeah. But I mean, he wouldn't have caught it. There's no way that that the line wasn't built for a group. No. Like 
like that. You probably didn't want to anyway. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to. No. He was going to like, I'd have to let go of the whole pole if I was going to do that. Yeah, scary stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, so so that was a really, I'm going to link to that article. I think it's 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 a really interesting article to show how these small scary, small scale artisanal fishers have to deal with all these problems like climate change. And it's something that we definitely have to be careful of um, and, and have to provide support. Organizations like Rare, um, and, and other organizations like like Pew will go into these regions, work with the communities after they're invited, uh, provide like technology support, provide knowledge, uh, and work with them with their cultural ways and, and sort of their their um, um, I guess their their history and their like traditional ecological knowledge and work to 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 make sure that they they're able to transform that fishery. And so it's really interesting on in that aspect. Um, so we're going to move on to the next, the next, uh, episode or the next, uh, the next article, which I thought was really interesting. It's about fish. And I thought you'd really like this. Um, fairy wrasses. Have you heard of them? Have you seen them? Do you like them? I like wrasses. Um, fairy wrasses okay. is a fish I haven't heard of, uh, but they're beautiful. <laughs> Shockingly they're beautiful. They're absolutely fish. stunning. Yeah. They, they're like the fruit loops of, of uh, fish, right? You know what that means in terms of their, they all taste in terms the same. Of their color. Oh, yeah. There's fruit loops. <laughs> oh, not the taste. Fruit loops are all one flavor. It doesn't matter what color they are. So I wonder if they all taste the same. My first thought was like, I bet they all taste exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not like they can be get pretty big in the wild. Mm-hmm. They're they're very popular. Some of these are very popular in uh, the marine aquarium hobby. You know, you'll see a lot of fairy wrasses. They're they're usually in bigger aquariums. Um, that's sort of where I discovered them uh, when I was working at an aquarium or when I was working for an aquarium store when I was younger. And we started to see these fairy wrasses come in. But they are absolutely beautiful. But the article that we're going to cover is from Science News. Uh, and it's all about how these flamboyant fish evolved an explosion of color as seas rose and fell. And this article goes like way back millions of years to look at how the cyclical uh, sea level changes uh, had over time and, and how these fish were able to mix and then be isolated and then mix and then be isolated and how their genetics changed over that time through the mixing and isolation. And something that I just think is is amazing. And I'll just give a, a quick description for it. Um, essentially, what would happen is they, they were found in the south tropical seas, uh, Southwest tropical ocean. Uh, and they were around a bunch of archipelagos. Uh, so essentially, you know, those are basically any, these are very isolate, can be very isolated areas. Probably one of the most, you know, looking at Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia, and these types of areas. Uh, and so what would happen is because it's so diverse in the first place, because of these, there's so many archipelagos and there's just so geographically, uh, isolated at times, as the seas would sink down um, and and would retract, would retreat. Uh, you would see um, part of those like those areas wouldn't you wouldn't have access to get to other places. So they you'd you'd have a population or different populations that would be isolated from each other, and then so they would they would mutate. And they would have genes that would mutate and they would sort of adapt to or the, the, the animals that were able to adapt to that specific area would do well. And then as the seas rose, uh, you would have all these areas that would all these fish that would be able to mix because now all of a sudden they were connected. They'd have these water bridges that would go all over the place. And then there was the ice ages. Well, he called it he called again. it a species pump. He said so when yeah. so they would you know so imagine you've got this body of water that gets divided by uh, by by ice right so now you've got two yeah. species of of fairy wrasse 
And then there's got, they've got 10,000 years to, to diversify within these two populations, right? To, and they evolve very, very differently. And then that water recedes, and then that they pump together as it recedes, and they mix together, and all of a sudden an explosion of new species come out because of it, you know? And, and, that's, and that's why they get that diversity. Right now, there's 60 species of fairy, fairy wrasse that they discovered, yeah. but they're finding a new species at least one a year. And that's why this is yeah. interesting. It's it's that quick biodiversity of fairy wrasse. I had no idea there was a thing. Well, I, mean, I didn't know there were that many species of them. And and I think having, you know, seeing this evolutionary process happen so quickly uh, in consideration, like normally these things take, you know, tens, 20, 30 years down the road, maybe a hundred years down the road, and you would see a new species pop up. Mm-hmm. But then you get all these different species within a couple of years or even 10 years. And you're like, holy cow, like there's more and more species. And they always have these mix of colors. And if you look on that, I'll put the article in the show notes again, but if you look at the the article and and the picture just in the first little bit, you just see how dynamic these these colors are from the the deep purples to the yellows to the greens to the blues and all that kind of stuff and and it's just phenomenally gorgeous uh fish that you get to see uh and they're quite active they're they're schooling fish too so they're found in in, in um in uh, a big pop like big sizes and stuff well and, and uh, andrew and they're, they they're, they do a mixed species school yeah so your school of fairy wrasse could have 10 20 different species of fairy wrasse in it and the, the females have to decide which are the right species to mate with. Because yeah. if you, I mean, it's really hard. Can you, do, you know, do you know how to define speciation? Andrew, it's a hard one. Like, how do we define species? Well, I mean, it's usually, I mean, it's, it's usually it's, it's two, two different individuals from the same species that can actually, like if they're from the same species, they can actually, you know, reproduce. They can reproduce and, um, and their young can also reproduce, right? So they wouldn't be making right. mules, they'd be making fairy wrasse. So they've got to fix, figure out in this giant mixed school of fish that all are brightly fluorescent colored, who are their partners? And they do it and they figure it out. But within that, you've got these quick uh, evolution processes happening, these, these mutations happening within that group. So there's not a lot of hybridization going on. But there's, it's, no. it's kind of a neat, like, because you would expect hybrids to be a thing. And that's not what you they're would. talking about. They're not talking about hybrids. No. Like so completely new species that yeah. are able to reproduce. And where you, the hybrids usually aren't able to reproduce. Uh, and so it, and you, you, you hear, like, competition of reproduction, you know, within species with, like, different males of, of, of different various sizes. And they'll usually compete over a female and, and vice versa. Uh, here you're almost competing with evolution. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, okay, first you have to find the spe- the right species, and then you have to be able to make sure that you can compete properly to have your genes go on to the next generation. I mean, that's like an extra level of uh, of of competition that we don't normally see. Uh, yeah. Don't normally now, talk about in science. Now I was reading this, and I couldn't quite figure out how he could tell if they're only mating with the right species. Like he said, in order to reproduce, they would have to mate with the right species, but couldn't they get it wrong a whole bunch of times and just not have outcome? Just not have offspring. I'm sure right. it happens. You know, like, hey, yeah. you're looking good, Miss Rass, but I'm not the same kind of Rass as you. I don't care. It's Tuesday. It's been a long week. You know, <laughs> yes. it doesn't matter to me tonight, you know? I need to relax. I, I it's time. Let's go. Let me do it. Yeah, we're done. So uh, so, I, so they don't discuss whether that happens or not. I would suspect, I'm, I, I find it, uh, shocking that that's not a thought process because to me it seems like of course 
they're going to yeah. mate with the wrong species once in a while. You know, and, yeah, you would think. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm I'm sure there's there's sort of accidental mating, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and just because of the, how many species are there and how many individuals are there, I just think it's uh, it's just a really I, I just this topic is so interesting and 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 because of their bright color, they just make a good story and and how fast they evolve. I think it's just mm-hmm. a, a fun story. And to be honest, like I want to cover this story because I've been talking so much of seaspiracy and fisheries, and I was getting a little. A little tired of it. I'm going to continue with it next week, but I'm just like, I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> and it was great to have a break with you to talk about some fun, fun things, uh, you know, and some cool science and, and some cool evolutionary perspective. So, uh, well, it's, and it's about fish. It's fun. It's and, you know, it, and of course, Andrew, I didn't, t- I didn't introduce myself as a, I used to be a science teacher. So I love yes. talking about science. I love dissecting the ideas of science, like questioning stuff, like asking the questions yeah. that aren't in the article. So I, all that's very fun for me. And so I appreciate you you getting me on. I'm, I'll do this off as you want to, Andrew. Like if you want to, you know, do this every two weeks, I'm in. I'm game. I think we should. Um, I think we should try and and do some pretty cool things. I've seen some really fun articles that have to deal with sort of like the the not only just the ecology and the conservation, but really just the 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 interesting science points that I don't usually get to cover mm-hmm. uh, often. And it would be great to have you back on to do that kind of stuff. I think that would be, uh, since, you, since with your science teaching background, you'll be able to communicate it more, probably better than I would. Uh, uh, maybe not. And, uh, so we can riff <laughs> off that. But we can still, we can <laughs> see we can, where we could go. But we can have a good time with it anyway. And we could even have, Absolutely. you know, some weeks where you bring an article, I bring an article or, yeah, for you sure. know, and we can surprise each other with articles sometimes, you know, maybe, I, you know, we have a lot I of fun with it. See and, how, how fast we can think on our feet. Yeah. And, and this will, these, every time we do these, I will mix them into the Fish Nerds podcast as well as a swap cast so that our audiences yep. can, can uh, hybridize. Let's hybridize our audience. Yeah. <laughs> hybridize. We don't want separate species because we want them to grow. No. You know? <laughs> we want to grow our own our own podcast. That's you know, right. We want to grow it together. Yes, Just right. not make a new one. We look different, but we taste the same. That's, the... <laughs> <laughs> that's our new motto. <laughs> look, look Just like Fruit Loops. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll have you back on in a couple of weeks. Uh, We'll get some articles. We'll talk science. Um, I'm I'm excited about this. This is fun to do another Ocean Talk Friday, and I look forward to doing more with you. Uh, Actually, next time you're on, we'll have to talk about how we met, because I think it was a really interesting story. I don't remember. I I think we were swimming. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. (laughs) We'll talk about it next time. All right, Andrew. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. And again, you can check out Andrew Lewin's podcast, Speak Up for the Ocean Blue, anywhere you get your podcast. And you totally should subscribe to it. If you want a podcast that's a little more serious about conservation than the fish nerds, it is for you. And Andrew is a great guy and a good friend of the podcast. And so we look forward to working with him more often. Uh, just kind of a, a little housekeeping here, if you're still with us, but thank you. Uh, Patreon subscribers, thank you so much for giving us money on Patreon, patreon.com slash fish nerds. It is quite literally the only way the show exists right now is because of our Patreon People, and we really thank you for putting their putting your money uh, into the show. Um, and this winter, I have failed in a lot of ways. I have failed to send out prizes. I've offered people prizes for different contests. Mostly, it was a monthly drawing on Patreon, and I've lost track of who won what. And so, my failure as a one man show here uh, is <laughs> is is really showing now. As I realize, I've got prizes on my desk that I've not mailed out. And I don't know who gets them. So, if you've won a prize. Do me a solid. 
send me an email, clay at fishnerds.com. Tell me what you won and when you won it and what for, and I will double check that and get those packages out to you as soon as I can. And again, I apologize. Um, sometimes I, I fall apart and <laughs> things don't come together the way they should. It's really a, it's a one-person operation to Fish Nerds, and I've been doing it a long time. Uh, the other thing, news, and bigger than that, is we're coming up on our 300th episode here in just, gosh, about five weeks from now, which is big, 300 episodes, uh, seven, eight years of podcasting now is quite a bit of podcasting. So um, I, I'm not sure what I want to do for our 300th show. I'd love your ideas. If you want to call in and leave a message for that show, you know, and tell us what the fish nerds mean to you or what anything you want about it, you can give us a call 607-378-FISH at 607-378-FISH and tell us uh, anything you want about the 300th episode. It could be congratulations. It could be it's time to hang it up and quit. It could be... Here's some ideas for some new stuff. Uh, all that's really good stuff. If you don't want to call us, grab your phone and use the voice memo function and leave us a message that way and email it to clay at fishnerds.com. And the other thing I was thinking about doing is I'm kind of thinking that, I'm, you know, sometimes some weeks I lose my motivation to record. Not my motivation to make a good show for you, but I just don't, sometimes it, you need people in your brain to help motivate you to go forward. Uh, and so I'm kind of thinking the Fish Nerds needs a regular co-host uh, to join me every week here on the show. I have lots of correspondents who are great help. Uh, and one of them could be the next Fish Nerds co-host if they had time, but it looks like most don't have the time that it requires. It's quite a bit of requirement, uh, at least an hour a week of recording and maybe another hour to help edit and do some post-production work. So a couple hours a week, maybe half an hour, 40 minutes of research. So if you're thinking... Hmm, could I co-host the Fish Nerds podcast? The answer is maybe. Uh, if you're interested in doing that, email me, clay at fishnerds.com. There are some requirements. We do want to have good audio, so you will need a USB mic if you need specific recommendations. Um, email me, I'll let you know uh, what, what works really, really well and what's affordable. Uh, you also need to be able to speak well. Um, but I, I'm looking for diversity of ideas, so, like, I'm a fishing guide. I don't think I want another fishing guide as a co-host. Uh, if you're a biologist, great. Chef, wonderful. Artist, cool. Conservationist, awesome. Vegan, maybe. I don't know. Um, but other, I, I wouldn't mind someone with differing opinions than I have. A uh, female voice would be wonderful. Uh, black voice would be great. But any other voice besides me is better than me. So if you want to be part of it, uh, let us know. Clay at fishnerds.com and... Maybe I'll have you on as like a trial. I'll get you on for a co-host one night, and we'll see how it goes and figure it out from there. I don't have a process yet for picking it, and you will make as much money as I do on the podcast, which is absolutely nothing. That's it. <laughs> you don't get a dime, but that's how it goes. All right. Before I talk too much about nothing, why don't we jump right into Doc Martin's brand new song? It's called Wet Roots, and this is Doc Martin's very first original song. She usually usually does parodies for us. And I'm so thrilled that she gave us this song for you. Here is Wet Roots, Doc Martin, here on The Fish Nerds. This is my first original song. All right. Is a 
Sometimes that's 
mostly they live deep in marine waters for where they live. They look like they ought to. Where fins are underwater wings, their long tails are like a string, but those tails are whip-like and jointed. Their noses are quite a look fleshy and pointed. Fantastic. Thanks, Doc Martin. And so that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big thanks to Wally Pleasant for running our theme music. Thank you to Diana's Bath Salts for making our fish in the news music. Huge thanks to Angela Lewin from Speak Up for Blue, Speak Up for Ocean Blue podcast. And Doc Martin, you know, you've been making the podcast almost as long as I have. Thank you so much for original music. Um, uh, the fact that you 
that you're still with us is remarkable, and we really do appreciate you. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early and often, never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. And that's the end. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast.